Welcome to Campaign Chemistry, where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards, and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brands. I'm Allison Weisbrot, editor of Campaign US, and my guest this week is Isaac Misrahi. No, not the fashion designer, but the CEO of multicultural agency Alma. Mizrahi started his career client-side at brands including Coca-Cola and T-Mobile, giving him a first-hand account of the roadblocks to fully embracing multicultural marketing from the inside. Now, as co-president and COO of Alma, he advocates for his clients to allocate appropriate budgets to the Hispanic audience, which is quickly growing to become a dominant U.S. demographic. Hi, Isaac. How's it going? Hi, Alison. How are you? I am doing well. How are you? Doing great. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation. And where are you right now? I'm in Miami, Miami, Florida. Wow. I could not be more jealous. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We had what we call a very, very cold weather this weekend with temperatures around low 40s. So uh, you would be surprised on how cold it was in Miami. Wow. Well, we had a blizzard dump, like five inches of snow on New York. So... Cold is all relative, I guess. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Uh, well, anyway, um, I wanted to start the conversation just walking through your your background a little bit. You had a really interesting career starting out in Latin America on the brand side. Mm-hmm. How did you get into into advertising and marketing? That's that's an interesting question, Alison. Uh, you know, I was born and raised in Brazil, in South America, as you mentioned. Uh, I always loved advertising, and and you may say how. When I was the kid, a kid, I was the kid that knew all the jingles from the TV ads, from the radio ads. I actually collected uh, magazine ads. I don't know what kid collects magazine <laughs> ads when you are 11, 12 years old, but I used to do that. Um, also, I came from a background of communications. My father. Uh, works worked and still uh, active on radio, uh, on a sports radio broadcast, play-by-play, etc. So I, I was always with him in the world of communication. Um, I actually had a, a side gig in radio uh, sports broadcasting when I was in high school uh, and early college years in Brazil. So I think that uh, that was fate. I actually decided to uh, do my undergrad studies in economics back in Brazil. I wanted to study something that would allow me the flexibility to pick different jobs. In Brazil, uh, you have to pick your uh, major when you are 17, 18 years old, when you start college, which it's a big pressure point. So I decided to do something a little bit more generic Um, like economics. And my first uh, internship uh, in the corporate side was in the marketing department. Honestly, I was open to anything that I could do an internship. It was in the marketing department. That opportunity evolved for a job in marketing. And I stayed in marketing my whole career. And of course, at one point, the advertising side came through. Uh, Initially, I was more in the planning strategy and then i became brand manager advertising manager etc cetera, etc cetera. um and um that that was the evolution yeah. of my career but i couldn't be happier with the choices that i made yeah very cool i think probably kids were collecting like baseball cards and stuff right while you were <laughs> yeah. while you were well, collecting yeah. advertisements <laughs> in, in my case football soccer 
Soccer, of course, of course, <laughs> football. Um, so you spent quite most of your career, uh, earlier part of your career on the brand side. You were at Coca-Cola, you're at T-Mobile, you're at British American Tobacco. What is like the most valuable thing that you learned on the brand side that helps you as an agency leader today? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Um, I, I think that, you know, the, the, the power of diverse thinking, um, it's, it's something that I bring mainly from my international uh, jobs uh, at Coca-Cola. I had several international jobs um, at uh, Bell South International. Uh, I, you know, I worked in Latin America for, uh, for, for a good time. The opportunity to visit different cultures, um, different people, different realities helped me a lot in this current job that I have, which is focused on multicultural marketing, mm-hmm. understanding, recognizing, and uh, valuing the power of diversity. Um, uh, another thing that I'm very, very uh thankful is the opportunity to be exposed to different aspects of marketing. So as I mentioned, I work in planning and strategy. I work with sports marketing, with uh, trade marketing, media planning and buying, uh, digital. Uh, So I feel that I I was able to gather uh, some skills and some experience that allows me to see marketing uh, and branding in a more holistic way, not in a single dimensional one. And needless to say, the opportunity to work with amazing brands. Um, this is this has been extremely important to me. Uh, and and in the last part of my career, you mentioned T-Mobile. Actually, it was Nextel and then Sprint. And of course, Sprint became T-Mobile. I was able to be the head of multicultural marketing for uh, almost six years. And that experience of being a client working in a multicultural environment in the U.S., uh, gives me credibility to sit down with my clients today at Alma or Prospects and and share my perspective. This is how I face. This is how, the challenges that I had, the mistakes that I made, the opportunities that I had, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know a lot of the clients they really value this conversation. Not an agency telling them what to do, but you know a more um, a more human. Uh, and more uh, personal conversation about our experiences. And, you know, I'm really, really thankful for my background. Yeah. So I want to talk, we're going to talk a lot about multicultural marketing in the U.S. and Hispanic marketing and, and, you know, sort of what, how brands are navigating the space. But first, I want to talk about your time at uh, British American Tobacco, because I feel like there's something similar going on right now with um, energy companies in the U.S. where, you know, brands and and advertisers are sort of being called out for supporting these companies. And, you know, that happened with with tobacco uh, many years ago. So, like, do you have any advice for these companies or or any sort of words of wisdom in terms of navigating a pushback like this when when you work for for a client in in a space like that? That's a good question, Alison. I, I, I don't know if I have an advice for the companies. I think that, you know, it would be a little bit beyond me. But I can tell you on a personal level, I have a lot of respect for the people that I work with in those six years. Uh, but I was never a smoker. So I have to tell you that, you know, I, uh, I, as much as I'm thankful for the opportunity, that was my first job. Uh, that was my first internship, and I learned a lot from a lot of great marketers and a lot of people. Uh, I didn't have the connection with the product. And when I had the opportunity to leave, when I received the invitation to join 
uh, Coca-Cola in Brazil. I, I, I was happy that I was able to work with something that I believe. So from a personal standpoint, and I know that was not your question, and I apologize for that, but I believe that it's very important for you to work with companies or at a company that you have a set of personal beliefs uh, on the product, on the culture of the company, on the purpose of the company. I think that's extremely important. And and, and I don't know if you believe uh, in destiny or karma. I do. Uh, I've been working for the third, past 13 years with Tobacco Free Florida, helping uh, Floridians uh, stop smoking or avoid smoking, uh, very effective campaigns. And, and, you know, I have to tell you, that gives me a lot of fulfillment. I'm very happy that I am where I am right now and being able to uh, work with clients that actually can have a benefit to the society. Totally. Yeah. And I also understand your point of uh, first jobs, right? You got to get in the, got to get your foot in the door. Uh, you know, I don't want to make excuses. Again, I'm very thankful for the opportunities I have. But when you are in Brazil, when you are in Rio de Janeiro, there are not many organizations or corporations you can start your career. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so so I, I think that's that that was part of my learning process and my growth. And I'm thankful for the journey that I had. For sure. So let's talk about um, multicultural marketing in the U.S. and and reaching the Hispanic audience, which is growing very quickly and and increasing its influence and purchasing power. Um, you work with clients all the time in this space. So what like what's your biggest piece of advice for them, and how do you help them navigate the opportunity? Maybe you can give an example of, of a absolutely. client. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Um, what I feel is that a lot of clients, they want to be part of it. That's the great news. Okay. I think clients are very concerned on how to implement an effective multicultural marketing program. And some clients, they really want simplicity. They want a simple strategy, a simple organization structure, a simple management plans, a simple allocation of resources. And what I tell in a very honest way is it's not going to be that simple. It is a little bit complex, but a lot of companies are cracking the code and getting amazing results out of it. But the marketplace is more complex, it's more fragmented, um, it's more multidimensional than what used to be in the 70s, the 80s, and the early 90s. So out of this complexity comes higher return opportunities. So it, it's worth it, trust me. The other thing, Alison, that we talk a lot, and this may sound a little bit uh, contradictory because I work in an advertising agency is that we have to help our clients to understand this is not an advertising program only. It's not a matter of doing an advertising to Hispanics or to other diverse segments and that's it. Companies that are re- uh, really, really winning in this marketplace, they take a more business approach. It's not on, only about communications. It's about distribution. It's about recruitment of talent. It's about uh, improving, enhancing their products or service to fit uh, maybe different demands from this diverse segment. So it's really, really a whole marketing, a whole business um, endeavor that advertising is maybe the most visible part of it. But advertising alone may not get you the results, the returns that you can get uh, from mm-hmm. effective multicultural marketing. So those are uh, discussions that are very important to have with clients. Um, and uh, a lot of uh, them, uh, I'm lucky to have it at Alma, they are willing and open to have this type of discussions. So give me an example, like how do you go deeper with them than advertising? Uh, <clears throat> so for instance, um, Pepsi. Pepsi, uh, a few, it's funny, Pepsi is an interesting story because we worked at Alma with Pepsi in 
two different times, uh, like seven, nine years ago, we worked with them and it was a little bit more advertising only. And then uh, five years ago, we were asked to come back and we helped them shaping a Hispanic business unit. So they elevated the multicultural marketing director or VP to a BU, to a business unit uh, with responsibilities to get, you know, market share, uh, sales, uh, revenue, profits, really, really working integrated with the rest of the business. And, and, and that impacted distribution, grassroots, the sales organization, uh, flavor profile that we are looking, what kind of flavors they have, some products, some beverages that are flavor-based, what are the flavors that actually can fit the, the palate of, uh, in this case, Hispanics in America. So that impacts R&D, packaging. So it's really, really comprehensive. It's not let's do a 30 seconds TV ad and some ads on social media. They elevated this to a business discussion, is discussed at the C-suite in North America, is discussed at the board of directors of PepsiCo. Um, So that really, really is like kind of a benchmark that shows how comprehensive the desire to tap into the multicultural consumers uh, purchase power uh, should be represented. Yeah. And so one thing that you've talked about in the past is how, you know, clients don't always allocate the right budgets for these types of projects. They sort of Mm -hmm. want it to be easy and they want it to just be like a simple fix. Here's your budget, go get this audience to love us. Right. So how do you, how do you get them to, put the appropriate budgets against the opportunity here? Well, the first thing that we ask them is, is what is the size of the opportunity? Either what is the size of uh, multicultural consumer sales uh, right now, if you have the measurement uh, or proxy, or you can look at the size of the population. Um, there are several ways you can calculate where you are and where you want to go. Um, so that is the first step that we tell clients that your resources need to have some level of proportionality to the pot of gold in the end of the rainbow that you want to get. You know what I mean? So because if, if uh, a specific segment, let's say Hispanics, for instance, represent 20, 25% of your sales today, or sometimes we'd like to talk to clients about share of incremental sales, of your incremental sales are coming from diverse consumers. Let's be realistic. Allocating 5% of your marketing budget to this segment is not going to close this gap. And this is more or less the average, Alison. According to Nielsen, according to the ANA, uh, advertisers are spending around 5%, 6% on Hispanic marketing in America on a target that represents 19% of the population and a disproportional uh, percentage of sales or incremental sales in several categories, mainly on the B2C industry. So allocation needs to happen. Now, I understand as a former client that resources are seldom incremental. Mm -hmm. So basically, you're going to have to change allocation. You're going to have to invest less in some segments or some activities to invest more on them. But I think that's okay because that's what marketers do every single year when they are doing their budgets. They tend to allocate resources in their biggest growth opportunities. In this case, we're calling multicultural, but we could call something else. It's just a matter of uh, effective, optimal 
resource allocation, but there's still a mental model uh, that some, somehow needs to be broken that multicultural advertising is something incremental that if I find the budget, quote unquote, I may be able to do it, but I have to protect my base investments. This is old fashioned thinking and a lot of clients are suffering because they're not going to get the growth that they need, desperately need in the next few years and decades if they don't revisit their resource allocation mechanism. Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting, right? Because what you're saying to me sounds perfectly obvious. Like this is the segment that's growing. It's providing this much percentage of your sales. You should increase your marketing budget against them. So what is the roadblock? Is it inertia? Is it just like general sort of, you know, the way that the U.S. market thinks about different groups of people? Like what is the roadblock here? Um, I think inertia, uh, you know, a lot of people are conser- uh, very conservative. It, let's realize that, you know, the average tenure of a CMO is less than four years right now. Yeah. So a lot of marketers are risk averse. They think there's an inherent risk to go to their CEO and say, I'm going to invest 20% of my budget in multicultural marketing because the payoff may not happen in the short term, which is right. Payoffs, they take time to build. It's a brand building exercise here. Uh, however, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when I was a client, Alison, I was a little bit, me and other marketers leading multicultural efforts, uh, we were a little bit uh, flying blind. But I have to tell you, in the past five to seven years, there are many studies uh, led by Nielsen, led by ANA, led by Kantar, that had quantitative analysis of the ROI of multicultural marketing, um, a lot of them on the Hispanic marketing, and all of them, they converge to the same area. There are a few things in common of the advertisers they are winning versus the advertisers they are losing in the multicultural space. There are no coincidences. They are independent studies they are concluding the same thing. So I think that nowadays it's very clear that it's not for the lack of research. To be very honest with you, if you are interested, there are a lot of studies that can guide your programs. And we are helping our clients sharing these studies, uh, dissecting uh, the details of it, because uh, it's not an adventure, as some people believe, 15, 20 years ago. It's really, really a scientific uh, part of marketing. Well, I think another issue is, and I've written about this before, is like the vernacular we use in the industry. So multicultural marketing, like minority spending, these groups are not minorities anymore, right? Like this is becoming the majority of the U.S. population. So is it something like how do we change the language that we use in order to talk about these groups? You know what? I like that. I like where you're going because I always believe that this is not really about multicultural marketing. It's not about minorities or a sense of social justice only. And I want to be very clear that I don't want to mix things. There is a need for a higher sense of social justice in America and in corporate America. But coming as a as an economist, if I may, or as a marketing uh, study, this is about segmentation. Let's let's take a, take a step back. What we are saying is that there are segments in this country, this large country, that you can slice and dice that actually have 
different attitudes and behaviors that may impact their purchasing uh, process. They may see brands and categories a little bit different from the mainstream, what we used to be called general market. And it's worth investing part of your resources to learn about these differences and actually deliver authentic, relevant solutions uh, including communication and advertising that may make them better um, buy your product uh, in a higher frequency. That's the essence of segmentation. Segmentation is one of the pillars of marketing. So if you eliminate, as you suggested, the world multicultural or ethnic or minority, it's still good old segment marketing. Mm-hmm. Some people do segmentation to women, to geography, to veterans, to based on age, which is probably the most traditional segmentation methodology, right? What we are seeing is that these folks, the 61 million Latinos or this bigger uh, set of multicultural consumers, they actually may react a little bit different if you actually cater some message to them, cater a product service to them. Uh, in the end of the day, is pure segmentation, Alison. Right. And I think that this is something that you've written about before and, and talked about before, that the marketing industry sometimes conflates DE&I and, and those efforts with multicultural marketing, whereas mm-hmm. like we're talking about like a very scientific like this is the audience and this is how you're going to grow and this is why you should reach them, whereas DE&I is also extremely important, but a little bit of a different conversation. So like, how would you define the difference and how should marketers be thinking about these two different buckets? Yes, I wrote this, uh, I write, you know, you know, I write some articles on, on, on the press uh, in a regular basis. And I wrote an article that has been actually one of the most uh, successful in terms of page views and readings. Exactly the title was D and I am multicultural marketing and not the same thing. Yeah. They are related. They are related. Uh, and I actually, my boss, uh, Luis Miguel Messiano, he actually read the, a draft, an early draft of that article, and he helped me with something very simple. DNI is about values, the values that the, you as an individual or a corporation or our society they have. It's the recognition that it is important to bring everybody on board at different levels of organizations in the society, not, not only at entry level, low paid jobs. Very important. We all need to fight for that. Multicultural marketing is about value, value creation. It's about sales. It's about profits. It's about understanding there is a consumer segment, in this case made out of minority diverse consumers, that actually they are demanding, and I'm not using this word lightly, now I, I can say it's demanding to be recognized as consumers and not as part of a, this melting pot, total market, one size fits all approach where people don't see themselves represented on screens. They don't see themselves represented as actors, at setups, in con- context. They want to be represented. So they're saying, if you want my dollar, if you want my wallet, uh, I want to see myself, my families, my stories out there. And consumers are more and more demanding that. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing about the DNA is that a lot of companies are making efforts to hire more diverse consumers, but I'm not seeing these companies and these diverse, sorry, diverse employees. I'm not seeing these companies and these diverse employees 
pushing the agenda for more diverse investments in diverse consumers. And that's a little bit the dichotomy that we are seeing right now. So these two elements, the E&I and multicultural marketing, they need to elevate together at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very important to distinguish the differences and the similarities between them. Yeah, it's interesting that you say like the companies are and agencies are making more diverse hires, but it's not necessarily translating into more investment in these communities. It, it almost seems like, you know, a lot of a lot of um, chief diversity officers and people in these roles are often not resourced properly to make the change that they're promised that they'll be able to make. So yeah. I'm and can I tell you something also concerning, Alison? Yeah. And, I, and, and, and it's going to sound a little bit weird, but it is very important to say, right? The fact that you are, and I'm going to use my background, Hispanic, Latino, doesn't make you an expert on Latino marketing. Right. The fact that you are from a minority. So a lot of companies are hiring minority uh, employees. And again, applauding. I am applauding that. But that doesn't make them ready to help with the other part, the multicultural marketing. You have to surround yourself with experts at the at your organization, agencies, research companies, production companies, media companies that know what they're doing because they study that, they live that 24-7, and they have the best uh, experience on helping uh, navigate brands in this multicultural space. Right. So it's like, it's great that these companies are hiring more diverse people, but that doesn't, like one diverse face isn't going to solve for a multicultural marketing strategy. You got that right. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, so another another issue I think that brands run into with multicultural marketing is um, they have one bucket, right, for like five different communities, and like a Hispanic community is not going to react the same as the Black community or the Asian community. So, are you like I don't know how much you how much Alma does uh, work in in other communities, but are you how do you sort of explain this to your clients, like? It's not just multicultural is is one bucket. It's it's like five or six or seven different buckets. Yeah, uh, that that's that's a very very big challenge that a lot of uh, people at the client side and at the agency side they are facing. Uh, at Alma, we made a decision that we are not trying to be everything to everyone. I have a lot of respect for multicultural agencies that try to be everything for everyone, but for me that brings a contradiction. You cannot be expert on everything. I actually did Asian marketing at, uh, at Sprint Nextel, at T-Mobile now, at, and Hispanic marketing, and I had to learn a lot. And let's begin with there's no such thing as Asian marketing. There's marketing to Korean Americans, right. to Chinese Americans, Filipino Americans, et cetera, et cetera, right? So trying to bundle everything under one name, Asian marketing, is not right to begin with. So, so either you are a specialist or you are a generalist. And the more generalist you are, you lose the specialty to actually be an expert on a specific segment. So I personally don't believe in the power of agencies that can do Hispanic American, African American, Asian American, LGBTQ under the same roof. Uh, there is going to be some kind of expertise they are, they are better at than others. And I think clients may want one-stop shop because it makes their life easier but I don't think agencies are there to make the client's life easier. The agencies are here to help them sell more, to be more effective, to increase their market share, their profits, enhance the brand equity that they have. That's what agencies exist and what we are here for. Um, so, so 
one thing that, you know, going back to my experience as a former client, I actually, I had this conversation with an Alma client yesterday. Uh, she was asking me about how to navigate this umbrella is that there are some similarities on marketing to diverse segments at the strategic level. Like you can create a framework of segmentation, of measurement, of emotional storytelling that actually may cover diverse segments in a good way. But at the executional level, you're going to have to respect the consumer insights and go a little bit different. So you may have the same methodology to do research, to do segmentation based on attitudes and behaviors, but the results of the segmentation for African-Americans may be very different from Hispanic Americans. You know what I mean? But the framework is the same. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. why uh, that's what I tend to advise and the folks at Alma we tend to advise to clients, don't fall for the one size fits all. This idea of total market have has cost clients millions and millions of dollars under the false premise of efficiency. I can have synergies, I can have efficiencies. And what happened is that they had to sacrifice effectiveness and a lot of clients that adopted this total market approach, one size fits all, they lost sales and market share opportunities and regret that. A lot of them regret that decisions. Mm. Do you think that there's just not enough education happening in the space about this issue? I do, I do, and I have to tell you, the education needs to happen at the uh, needs to start at the board level, board of directors, CEOs, CFOs. I think it's time that this is not only the responsibility of a director of multicultural marketing or a VP of multicultural marketing or even the CMO. The stakes are much higher. CEOs, CFOs. Uh, Wall Street analysts, they need to start tracking what companies are actually doing it right because the numbers are not changing, Alison. The, the census results, uh, they, they show the trajectory very clear. They can accelerate or decelerate de de depending on pandemics, on the economic activity. But what, what we know is that the demographics are not going to go backwards. Mm -hmm. So this discussion that you and I are having today, beginning of 2022, if we set up an appointment for beginning of 2032, we know where the numbers are gonna be more or less. And mm -hmm. clients that are really not approaching this, they're gonna be behind versus competitors. They are actually doing um, uh, in a in right. Uh, and it's going to cost more money to get there. That's another thing that we tell clients. The size of the budget, depending on the category, may not be determined for your success. The, the journey for the knowledge creation, the learning is very important. So if you invest relatively a smaller amount, but consistently over the years and maybe growing over the years, you may get there and you may not have to invest significantly 10 years from now out of desperation because you, you actually are losing market share. Your competitors are eating your lunch. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I know you mentioned like Pepsi is sort of an example of, of a brand that's taking this seriously as a business consideration. Would you say brands overall are waking up to this as a real business consideration or are they still behind and, and stuck or, or where do you see the lines being drawn between different brands? I think that, you know, there are other brands that are winning. I, you know, I, I will be remiss if I don't mention McDonald's. For me, McDonald's, not because they are uh, uh, our client, but McDonald's is the gold standard in the marketplace. I don't think there is a company 
as consistent as McDonald's investing in multicultural marketing, because we are not talking about five, seven years. We're talking about decades and, and, and very uh, holistic. As I mentioned before, this is not advertising only, um, very connected to their core business, to their values. So I think McDonald's is far advanced than the majority of the companies that I see uh, including the companies that I work with and, and their competitors. I think companies are waking up. Um, I see a lot of movement with Molson Coors, for instance, uh, in the beer category. Um, and I think the division right now are the companies that are putting their money where the mouth is or in the companies that only have their mouth. Because I don't think there is any company there saying, I don't believe in multicultural marketing. I don't believe this is important. I don't believe that the, the demographics are telling the right story. I think that we are passed by that. I think, I think maybe uh, 2020 represents a watershed moment. I think the difference between the brands and the companies that the companies they are investing proportionally are investing correctly, not only on advertising, not only translating ads into Spanish, into Mandarin, into Korean, companies that are really, really listening to consumer insights and creating authentic stories. Mm-hmm. That, that's it. It's listening and reacting by creating authentic stories and not on an artificial way, really committing to the communities, to the grassroots, to the lives of these consumers. Uh, consumers are very smart, Alison. You know this. You write about this every single day. What are the brands that are just, you know, showing off, just uh, trying to project an image that they don't have and what are the authentic brands authenticity is probably one of the key marketing uh, words uh, in this decade that we are living and probably decades to come yeah for sure um so if you had to you know like you said the numbers are not going backwards right like we're on this path and and this is the demographics of the country if you had to make a prediction for multicultural hispanic marketing this year do you think brands are going to take this more seriously or is that watershed moment not not here yet? I think they are taking more seriously. Uh, I can see what, what we are, what, four weeks, four or five weeks in the year. Uh, then the number of uh, agents, uh, clients uh, looking for uh, an agency, a multicultural agency, the number of RFPs and searches that are happening are, you know, probably higher than I've seen in the last seven, eight years. Mm. Um it's, there, there is a lot of uh, uh, movement in the marketplace. Uh, companies that actually did multicultural marketing and gave up are coming back. Companies that adopted total market and realized the failure are coming back. And actually, I'm seeing companies that haven't done much. They have been mostly translating ads, using their uh, general market, traditional agencies, uh, getting a Latino, a Latina that knows the Spanish and translating. They are opening up for... Uh, at least the possibility of doing a more holistic a multicultural marketing. So I'm very optimistic about this year. Last year was a very, very strong year in multicultural marketing. Uh, I talked to a lot of uh, agency executives and uh, uh, corporate executives in all segments, Asian Americans, African Americans, uh, uh, Hispanic, uh, even LGBTQ. There is a sense of high investment. I think the biggest uh, question mark, whether this is going to be really a sustainable a year and and couple of years, it's going to go back to that discussion of resource allocation that we had a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm, for sure. Well, it's it's very promising to see that there is movement. But um, yeah, I mean, I think 
what you're doing and how you're how you're talking to clients about this is is really great. So keep up the good work, keep up the good fight. And thank you for coming on the show to talk to me about all this today. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for making this a topic that um, uh, you're willing to share with your listeners. I really appreciate the opportunity, Alison. That's all the time we have this week. Thanks for tuning in to Campaign Chemistry, and we'll see you next time.